You're listening to DraftKings Network. Coming up on today's show. It's the Joe Thomas Flu Pod. And our guy Bruce Gradkowski takes us to grad school. We talk about C.J. Stroud's historic start and Tua Tunga-Vailoa versus Patrick Mahomes. We dish out apologies to folks across the NFL and grade some pretty bad takes. All of this and much, much more on literally the illest episode ever of the Tomahawk Show. Who are these guys? It's my theme music. Every good hero should have some. This is an institution of learning, ladies and gentlemen. If you can't control it, how can you teach? Discipline is not the enemy of enthusiasm. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Tomahawk Show, presented by the good folks at the DraftKings Network and Metal Lark Media. As always, I am your humblest of all co-hosts, Mr. Andrew Hawkins, former NFL wide receiver, media personality. I do a lot of things, uh, so I never have to fit in. I am joined by my co-host, who is a little under the weather, but this is how special the Tomahawk Show is to him. He said, just like I don't miss a snap, in the NFL, I refuse to miss the show. Joe Thomas is here with the flu, ladies and gentlemen. Give it up for Joe Thomas with the flu. How you doing, Joe? You feeling Hall of Fame like right now? I'm feeling extremely cold, very <laughs> grumpy, and uh, wishing that I was dead. Yes, so, awesome, perfect. That's, Just like Mike Cleveland Brown's career. I was going to say everything is rolling exactly as expected. I actually feel like this is the real version of you. This is the, the version of you I experienced for the majority of our the start to our. Our friendship. So uh, I'm excited. Also excited to be joined by our resident quarterback guru, Mr. Bruce Gradkowski, my former college quarterback and friend in the building. B Ray G. What's up, brother? My man. Good to see both of you, Joe. I hope you feel better, brother. That flu is awful. What's mm. worse, the flu or COVID? The flu. You think so? COVID with my think ass, so. bro. COVID, COVID, COVID won a couple of rounds with me. I'm not going to lie. I mean, COVID, I'm still struggling on some things. Like, I don't fully have my taste <laughs> and smell on things. Jeez. But the flu, I remember I had it last year, type A, and I was like, oh, my, I think I'm going to die. Like, <laughs> and, you know, Miranda's like, your baby, I'm going to go cut the lawn, and I have the flu, too. Um, but but I th- I'd one. say the flu. She's a tough There's one. The real thing too. about the man cold and a man flu, like we just get hit a lot harder. Uh, we're always obviously the one that shoulders more of the responsibility in the family. We're tougher. We usually handle it so much better. And uh, unfortunately, when we get hit with the cold and the flu, the women just don't understand because it doesn't hurt them the same way. I agree. We got to lay down and sleep all day. I then know. they can run around, take care <laughs> of the kids, do all their normal stuff. Uh, because they just don't get hit by the fluid. It must be the XY chromosome, something going on. It's there. very scientific. I bet what you said very is science is, is straight up <laughs> science for sure. So I don't want to get too graphic on this, but you know, hey, we're we're open book here. It's the same as if we were in the locker room. I will say, are you throwing up, Joe? Is it out the back end? Are you running back and forth to the toilet? Yeah. So the nice thing is nobody's listening anymore, so I can say whatever I want. Yeah. But, um, okay. The good, kids good. actually are all puking, which that's the great part about having kids is they usually get the flu first so that they exhaust any little bit of sleep that you've <laughs> had going into you getting sick. <laughs> so in the last three days since my son Jack got sick uh, first three days ago and then progressively the dominoes fell, um, you know, mm. first he threw up in his bed, then we... <sighs> Cleaned that up at midnight and then brought him into our bed. Big mistake. Oh, that's, a, that's a, where you went wrong. Since I wasn't home like at all during my career to like deal with the puke and the kids things, <laughs> I'm like, oh, he said he's fine. Like he just probably ate too much 
sugar at like the basketball <laughs> game or whatever. So I brought him to bed and like an hour and a half later, now he's throwing up on me and uh, all over my bed. So then Jeez. we got to clean that up. And now I'm sleeping on the floor for a couple hours. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, no, no sleep the last couple of nights. So thankfully, at least I'm not throwing up, although uh there's times that i wish i would be yeah okay i wasn't sure about you know exactly how it was manifesting in you the thing about the flu is it manifests differently in everyone it does um i usually have the runs and i just keep it at that because we're a family friendly show but that being said it does spark another thought in me i i realized this when i actually came into the studio here at metal arc uh media studios here i hate touching toilet seats is that weird i didn't think about it till i was in the bathroom and i will get a piece of tissue in every bathroom I go to to lift up a toilet seat and put a toilet seat down. I refuse to touch any toilet seats. Even when I'm at the house, I like will only touch the toilet seat if I absolutely have to. Is that weird? Not at all. Okay. So I'm not strange for that. Joe, I feel like you grab it with your bare hand, maybe your tongue if you have to. Uh, I mean, there's things that you have to do to get by in life that I'm willing to do. There's no depths I'm willing to go to that I'm not willing to go to. Uh-huh. However, um, I don't willingly like touch the toilet seat. If that's the yeah, end okay. all be all question, do you dress uh, the toilets in like public? To avoid that. Do you dress the toilets in public when you have to go? I don't. I think that's See, gross because there's mouse. nothing worse than trying to go into a bathroom stall like at the airport where there's like a huge line and everybody's waiting and there's like somebody's used toilet paper that's just like half hanging in the bowl, <laughs> half hanging out of the bowl. Like you don't even clean up after yourself, you fucking disgusting mess. <laughs> I will. The, the, the worst though is when you have your kids going going there and the boys oh. and they get real close to the urinal and it's like, don't touch anything, back <laughs> up. And they're like, Looking back at you like what, and their jackets like in the toilet. And, oh, uh, man, kids are the best. Have you ever? I, I went to an elementary school, and we're going. We're way down the dad lane right now. <laughs> but I went to an elementary school, and I had to go to the bathroom because my, you know, my son was there. And I forgot that, like, when you're kids, kids, you don't hold your pants up when you pee. You just let them drop to your ankles. So I'm in there with a bunch of four, four third graders who are just letting their trousers drop. To, I'm like, whoa, come on, guys. There's other people in here. Anyway, all right, we probably got to move on from this. You don't do that anymore? Nah, man, I stopped I still that, do that my third year in the league. What are you, crazy? It'd be ridiculous. Um, let's talk kind of quasi-football. I do want to ask a question. We do have a get into our segments, but it, does this make me a bad uncle? My nephew plays for Tennessee Chattanooga, and I'm like, hey, how's the season going? He says, hey, it's going great. We're in the conference championship. This is FCS-level football. So I'm like, oh, that's dope, man. How many more games you got? He's like, oh, we got a couple. I'm gonna look, look, I look up the schedule. They play Alabama next week. Now, at this point, I have a decision to make. Do I keep it real with my nephew and say, yo, I think you're going to get your heads beat in and, you know, your team get beat to a bloody pulp? Or do I say, like, anything is possible? I know how Bruce approaches these situations. I've been in the locker room. Bruce thinks he can beat anybody. He thinks everyone has an equal chance. But I'm more of a realist, Joe. And my response to him was, man, I better start fasting and praying for you now because it's going to be a long week. Was that the wrong thing to say, Joe? Uh, yeah. Okay. My question is, why do you even have to bring it up? Can't you just avoid him this week? Like, Because you know <laughs> anything you're going to say is probably either a lie or you're going to hurt his feelings. Okay. So you're better off just to avoid him and just you know ask about the weather or something boring. Or like, hey, how's your stomach? I heard you guys had the stomach flu last weekend. Let's go down that rabbit hole. That would be way more appetizing <laughs> than talking about how you guys are going to get curd stomped by Alabama this weekend. My brand is keeping it real, though. That's what everyone knows. You come to me for honesty. Bruce, so what should so he I? He came have... to you and asked you, like, "Hey, what do you think? Are we gonna win?" <laughs> no, it was just like, "Hey, we play Alabama. 
And I was like, oh, man, that is oh. it's going to be a long week for you, man. Yeah, I, but I, that's probably wrong because his coaches are telling him the opposite. They're like, anybody has a chance. We're going to show them that this isn't – and I, I'm just trying to be honest with them. Like, hey, just make sure your head's on the swivel. These guys are all future NFL players. That That's what I was just thinking. Like, at this point in my, my life, my response is more or less, hey, man, just protect yourself this week, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like you it's just said, safety. keep your head on the swivel. These, these boys, you know, they come with it. These are NFL players you're about to play. Exactly. If he was boxing Mike Tyson, I wouldn't say, like, oh, man, you have a chance. You, you know, just <laughs> Bob and Wheat. No, this is for protection, man. Be safe out there. It's going to get dangerous. I wouldn't want to play against Alabama right now. And I'm 38. What, what position does he play? D-line. Mm. <sighs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Probably the worst position to play because they're going to get up by 40 in the first quarter and then just double team and run the ball all day. Well, hopefully he doesn't see this episode till after the game. And hopefully uh, <laughs> we'll be doing a you know great to take next week because we were wrong in Tennessee Chattanooga battle back. Um, all right. First order of business since we're in the college football mode. I have a question for you guys. Did you see Caleb Williams at the end of the game against Washington? For those of you that didn't catch it, Washington, who I think is 9-0 now, played USC. So it was Caleb Williams versus Michael Penix, who is a Heisman favorite. Um, and USC took an L. And afterwards, Caleb Williams jumps into the stands, into his mom's arms. She covers his face. It looks like he was kind of uncontrollably sobbing for a little bit. Um, after the game, a lot of mixed reactions on social media. What, what was your take of it, uh, Joe? Did you, did you see that clip at all? I didn't, but I always feel really uh, bad for the college kids a lot of times because they're stuck in these emotional situations that they're not really prepared for because mm. they're not used to being in front of millions of people at home. And I, and I get it. Like we, we celebrate them when things go well and they get to enjoy the fruits of their labor, which they should. And, and when things don't go well, you also do get to see like the lowest emotions uh, that humans have, which is like the disappointment and the shame and embarrassment that like if you lose a game and you don't play very well and you feel like your whole world is crumbling around you we got to remember too that these guys are 19 20 21 years old and mm -hmm. they really don't know how to handle it yet like um if things were going hard for me i wouldn't go run to my mom because okay, this, i'm a this, man i'm an adult now okay big, uh, but these guys man, are still kids They're alpha just, male over here yeah, but I mean, like, I would probably run to my kids and my wife and cry to them, like I'm going to right now as soon as the show's over because I feel crappy. But I, I think it, it's just, it's it's kind of sad that they do live their lives in such a public way before they're really ready at times, you know? And so uh, I didn't see it, but I, I think hopefully that he has somebody in his life that can kind of support him and boost him up and, and yeah. say, you know, hey a couple bad games it's okay like it's not going to affect your draft stock that much everything's going to be fine in the end you just gotta you know do the exact opposite of what hawk would do if, yep. if he was related to him and <laughs> try to build him up and, and <laughs> shovel him some lies about what happened in the last couple of weeks it's cool man I, I i agree i think uh the support of the family will be important he'll be supporting his own family here soon because he's going to get a lot of money next year come draft time uh bruce specific question for you was there a game that you cried after in college I, I, I did. I saw that clip Hawk and, and I felt for him. My, my initial thought was like, dang, like, man, yeah, this dude's on the Heisman uh, path, you know, a national championship path. And now all of a sudden he's seen his season crumble before him losing multiple games. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, ah, oh, man, just, you know, hit that locker room, 
save this for behind the scenes. And mm-hmm. I think Joe's take was perfect because some of these guys don't know how to handle these moments yet. And now we live in a world, there's cameras everywhere. And especially yep. if you're that guy, they're trying to film, you know, you trying to lift that toilet seat up or not. Like yep. Yep. they want to yep. know everything about you. And mm-hmm. that's what kind of stinks. But my take was like, I felt for him because I was like, man, how, how important and how much it means to him. Cause we've all been there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was like, man, I, I wish he would have just went in the locker room so he could have had that moment to gather himself and, and then maybe see his parents, you know, outside before they get on the bus and so forth. Yeah, I, I was kind of that same way. But I, then I thought I was probably being a little hard. I'm not hard, but I was like you, like, oh, man, I don't know if you want to you get to the locker room to really put, the, put that out there. But it did humanize him a little bit. And I do remember a game that I cried after, not on the field, and you remember this game, Bruce. It was my sophomore year, your senior year, Northern Illinois. We needed to win this game to be in position to go to the MAC championship. It was freezing cold. Whenever we'd go on the field, the water cups would turn to ice. That's how cold it was. When we got off, they were frozen, right? And there was, I think I had two drops in that one. One was a bubble. It was a terrible throw by Bruce. Let me put that out there. <laughs> We can get the video to support it. It was low, but I should have caught it. We need the video to get to the bottom of it. But it was also (laughs) behind the line of scrim or it's like a backwards throw. So it was like I dropped it and I'm like, damn, you know, and as I'm doing that, they jump on the ball, recover it, go down and score. And we end up losing the game, man. And I was like in my locker, um, the receiver coach for us that year. This is like this is like four hours after the game. I stayed in the locker room for like five hours, just like it was on ESPN I wouldn't answer my phone, but that was like one of those moments that it, you create how big this is. And in your mind, that it's the end of the world because you don't perform at this moment when you wanted to. But to you guys' point, on this side of life, we're telling Caleb, like, yo, man, this is, this is, a, this is a speed bump, if that. And he played great. Like, you know, you have way better days ahead of you, but that kind of experience is what makes players the players that they are down the line. Well, I just, and I just want to thank you because that was my only – home loss as a starter yeah. at Toledo. So, <laughs> but Hawk, I still think I, I cry about that game because I missed Trinity, our running back on a screen pass. I missed it behind him. So it hit off his hand, got picked yeah. and I had to chase it down. We tackle him like now in the red zone inside the their 10 yard line about the score. So that, that was one of those. And that was the coldest game I've ever been a part of. The other and one was when time. I was teammates with Joe Thomas here. And we're playing the Bengals, and uh, Ken Dorsey's starting. There's four minutes left to, to go in the game, and he doesn't get up, and he, like, gets concussed. And I'm like, you have to be kidding me. <laughs> it's like 20 below zero, and I've been on the, standing on the sideline this whole game. I don't have a clue of this offense. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got to get going. I'm trying to loosen myself up. And I go in, of course, think I'm going to save the game, and I throw a pick like on one of my first <laughs> passes. Blame it on the left tackle. Yeah, Bruce, that was the coldest game of my career. That was 2008, right? In like mid-December. Yeah. It was like around three degrees-ish. So people are like, oh, that's not that cold. The wind was blowing like 40 miles an hour off of Lake <laughs> Erie. It was like a minus 30 wind chill. I actually got sick after that game. I'm I'm not, honestly, trust me, people, I'm not a sickie. I'm not always <laughs> sick. Sick all the time. It's the sick episode. 
right. I, I felt so horrible. I got sick for like three legit days. And I think the only reason was it was so cold that my immune system was like zero. And it took me like three days just to warm back up and thaw out. Well, look, we're going to get real warmed up here as we talk about some NFL football after a quick break. And we're going to take everybody uh, that listens to the Tomahawk Show, a.k.a. the Tomahawk, to grad school. Drop the bass. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Tomahawk Show. Now we're going to get into one of our favorite segments whenever our guy Bruce Gradkowski is here. It's called Grad School. We'll talk about a coach or a player or pretty much anything. And Bruce gives us his grade, and he has to also show his work of why he has given that person that grade. Bruce, I will kick it off for you right now. We're going to start with Houston Texans quarterback C.J. Stroud. What is your grade for his performance? A plus. A plus. All right. Show me the work. I mean, this this guy's been so impressive so far this year. Just seeing his poise and composure in the pocket, like mm-hmm. he stands in there strong. And the thing that impresses me even more so is his, his arm strength. Like he's showing every level of throw you can possibly make, but he also has touch with it as well. And for example, he'll be in the pocket. There's pressure coming at him. He can drift back, have a guy on him, and still have the arm strength to throw the ball downfield and complete it. And the thing I love the most is, as a rookie, usually those seven-step drop throws, the throws like 18 to 20 yards, you're still trying to get used to the timing and how it feels to come out of your hand because you don't have to rifle those. A lot of those throws 18 to 20 yards downfield are touch passes like a two-ball over a linebacker and so forth and and he's playing so well in that area of the field like just this past week you know 10 to 19 yards downfield uh you know he's he's crushing it with like 140 yards or so forth um so just i see him in certain areas of the field levels of the field playing really well but it's that poise and composure that sticks out the most you know some of the big time throws i think look they lose their kicker halfway through this game it's a fourth and nine fourth and goal on the nine they have to go for it mm-hmm. and he throws a, a dime and out route to his tight end Dalton Schultz for for the touchdown like so it's just his poison composure being a rookie standing in there not allowing the pressure around him to dictate his accuracy and and him getting through his reads mm-hmm. you know it's, it, it was just super impressive I know the numbers speak for themselves but just he he's he's performing behind those numbers as yeah. well. It's not just screen passes, slip screens to wide receivers. This guy is throwing the ball consistently downfield. That 18 to 20 yard range, that's very impressive. Yeah, and he's doing it at a very impressive clip to your point. Like because he's operating the offense better than you typically see rookies do it because they're still trying to grasp the speed of the game. I'm going to give myself flowers here, which I love to do because I'm so humble. Yeah, I I was uh, having a conversation with someone in NFL personnel before the draft, and we were talking about Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, and they were saying how impressed with Bryce Young they were. And this is the message that I sent him. I said, I love it, man. That's why you're going to be the best at what you do because you care so much. I have not watched a lick of film on either of these guys. I'll be honest. I'm not a quarterback guru. But from the interactions I've had and seen with CJ and just watching the way he carries himself, I believe he is going to be the dude, capitalized. I can't. You can't fake true confidence and hunger. And with his story and the way he carries himself and how much he cares, he exudes all of that. So I'm going to let him continue to be very good. Then I'm going to post that. Uh, into my long list of resume 
for when I eventually want to become a general manager. Bruce, have you watched C.J. Stroud at all? I mean, I'm sorry, Joe, have you watched C.J. Stroud at all? And do you know enough about quarterbacks to actually tell if he's any good? Uh, it's difficult for me to know enough about the entirety of the quarterback to know if he's going to be any good. I did get a chance to watch the end of that game because all the other games had kind of shut off. They right. were done. And, you know, when you're watching the YouTube Sunday ticket or whatever, they just get them all. filter you into the the games that are still going on. So uh, it was really impressive to watch him making big boy, big pants throws uh-huh. down the sideline in the middle of the field. like. I'll compare it to maybe watching Will Levis at the end of that game on Thursday where rookies, they either take a check down or they don't know what to do and they just bomb it down the field where nobody can catch it typically in mm. two-minute offense, which is what I've experienced a lot with a lot of rookies when you're behind in that situation because they're so worried about making a decision that's wrong in the middle of the field because they're not really comfortable reading the coverage and the defense at that point. They don't really know exactly where the holes are. So what you get is if you get a soft defense, they'll give you a couple easy completions. Then all of a sudden they change it up and tighten it up. And then they just start bombing balls down the field that are pretty much out of bounds that are go balls with no chance of anybody catching them. But you saw CJ Stroud. He looked like Peyton Manning back there, the way he was surgically dicing up the defense. He was finding guys down the field. He was finding guys in the middle of the field surgically with uh, in-breaking cuts when he had timeouts. He could hit guys on the sideline in the, the whole shot with the uh, the cover two corner and the safety. So yep. I was really impressed just the number of throws that he was able to make and when he decided to make those throws. His yeah. decision-making is something that you don't usually see with rookies. The Browns played the Cardinals, got to play against an uh, inexperienced quarterback. Uh, I think he had like one play they under his belt him. going into that game. Yeah. And what happened? They sacked him like 7,000 times <laughs> because typically what happens is rookies, they go out there, they throw one pick, then they get nervous. They don't want to throw more picks. So all they do is hang out of the football, run around and get sacked. You don't see that with CJ Stroud to his yep. credit. He doesn't run around and get sacked. He goes, runs around and wins football games. Yep. He always feels like he knows where the next answer is. Like you take something away, he doesn't get rattled, he stays poised. And again, those are attributes of a really good quarterback. All right, next one, Bruce. And I might be throwing a curveball at you here. Um, Tua Tunga Vailoa or Patrick Mahomes. You can give both grades or you can give one. Let's go with Tua. Because okay. I, I think there was some things that stood out during this game. But uh Tua's grade for me, I'd have to say a B minus. B minus. That's probably better than I thought, honestly. Go ahead, show your work there. I was stuck on that. You know, I wanted to be in the C range, but he, he does enough good things, and especially battling back 21 nothing at halftime. Mm-hmm. You know, Tyree Kill fumbles at the end of that, that second quarter right before half. The Chiefs are up 14 nothing. He fumbles it. They pitch it back. They take it to the house to go up 21 nothing. So I thought at the end of the third quarter, watching the, the Dolphins come back was good, and watching Tua do enough get the right completions, make the right reads, and so forth. But the thing where I really hang on, and this is a consistent theme throughout this week as we talk about these different quarterbacks, like C.J. Stroud with 46 seconds left, Mm -hmm. leading his team to victory. You have Tua that's had an unbelievable season so far. And I look at some of these stats. I mean, he's been like the top grader for, for PFF. I look at him like play action pass, his his throws like in that mid-range where you're we're talking about 15 yards downfield 18 mm-hmm. to 20 yards downfield like he he's been on but when when it's crunch time in this Chiefs game and this I can't get this out of my head he has a third down and 10 and they call like a stutter go or just like kind of like a glance pump 
to Devontae Parker and Tua, I don't know if the ball slipped out of his hands or what, but he mm. underthrows it. And sometimes when you're throwing a stutter out, it is hard to leave your lead your receiver because they're kind of s- stuttering their feet a little bit and then they're they're restarting. Mm-hmm. But he underthrows that, and then the last play on a fourth and ten, they bring cover zero, and you're going to bring cover zero versus the Dolphins with that speed on the field, and you have. I think it was Waddle that he could have hit down the middle of the field for a touchdown, but I'm not saying the snap was perfect, but he should not have fumbled that snap. Yep. And in crunch time like that, you have to make those plays. And I feel like I can't get that out of my head, yep. but I think the consistency too has been playing with helps me lean towards, listen, he's been playing well, he's been doing good things, but in crunch time, he just can't allow those things to happen. And I, I think of Dak Prescott too, but we'll get to that later. Yep. But that's where I'm at with um, Tua. All right, Joe, what you got? I concur. I ah, think uh, Tua's been really, really good. But if he wants to take the next step and become part of that upper tier of quarterbacks in the NFL, he's got to be able to do it in crunch time, which he hasn't been able to do yet in his career. He needs like some signature wins, comebacks, yeah, an opportunity to prove that he's at his best when his best is needed in those pressure situations, which is what you got to have as a quarterback. Cause you're yep. going to have to go through some tough matchups in the playoffs. If you want to go win a super bowl, there's going to be some close games. You're going to have to come back and make those throws, make those decisions. And uh, he's yet to prove it. And it's kind of like a head coach, right? Until you win a super bowl, until you've been in those fires and you realize where to put the water and uh, where to not put the water and where yep. to run away. Like that's the most important thing. It's those decisions that you make. And there always will be a separation between quarterbacks that have won a Super Bowl, that have won big games in those moments, and guys that were always saying, yeah, buts. Think yeah. about Kirk Cousins. Until mm-hmm. this year, it was always, yeah, but. He was great, a lot of numbers, but he never had those big moments. He couldn't play well in prime time. And then, unfortunately, as soon as he starts doing that, he gets hurt, which that <laughs> that's, sucks. That's, but that's the nature of the game in the NFL. That's the football gods, man. I, I, I agree. That's a perfect way you said it, Joe. And it even ties – to the the earlier conversation we had about C.J. Stroud is that the good quarterbacks, elite quarterbacks, look at those scenarios as opportunities and not that I don't want to be in this situation. I would rather be up 30. I would rather be up 20. Like, yeah, of course. But in those, the really good quarterbacks are like, oh, okay, let me put it on full. This is my opportunity to put it on full display. And that's the, the, the next step that someone like Tua has to take. All right, we're going to take another break here, but we're going to keep talking NFL. My dog, Bruce Gradkowski, is in the building. And, of course, Joe Thomas will be back after a quick break. All right, this next segment is called Owen Apology. And actually, just to be very honest, we uh, came up with this segment for Gary Owen, who is not here, but still, we can still issue apologies where necessary. So I'm going to pose a question to the guys, and I'm going to ask, do we owe this person an apology? And if so, they're going to explain why we do or we don't. I'm going to start it off with Bruce. Um, A lot of conversation has happened around Dak Prescott. Uh, Is he the guy? He obviously plays for a really talented football team. They battled the Eagles this past weekend, and they took an L. But Dak Prescott balled out in front of the entire world in a primetime game in a really big game that they needed. So my question is, Bruce, do we owe Dak Prescott an apology or not? No. Oh, let's get spicy. Why not? I mean, we talk about crunch time, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The Cowboys go for it 
for a two-point conversion, and he steps out of bounds. And it, it wasn't something that it was tight and he got pushed out. He absolutely should have stayed in, and you have to have that awareness. You're Dak's athletic enough, right? He's a good football player. He has awareness. You, you, got, you have to make that play. Mm-hmm. So that sticks out to me. And then at the end of the game, you know, he makes a few good plays. They get a penalty to help that last drive, so they get to midfield. He he makes some, you know, plays, some completions. He hits C.D. Lamb down to the 10-yard line. All of a sudden, they have the ball, like, on the five uh, because defensive offsides, and then there's a false start. They get pushed back. But he takes an unnecessary sack when he has his tight end down the seam. And, that, that, like, that can end the game. Like, and you're mm-hmm. Dak Prescott. You're the quarterback of the Cowboys. You're you're, you're you're trying to win a Super Bowl. Like, those are the plays you have to make. It's single high safety. The safety is over the ball, which you're kind of, I think they're on the left hash, and you have to tighten up the right seam. Hit them yeah. and make a play. So, I, those are I, my points. I do kind of feel like we, Michael Parsons says we're too hard on Dak Prescott. I don't believe that to be the case, but... I thought he played well, but I mean, you giving me, it's hard to argue you about what the quarterback should be doing because you obviously know anywhere else I'm going to act like I'm the expert and I know what the hell is going on. I was hard on Dak after the Chargers game because I was like, the Chargers suck. Their secondary is the worst. Every quarterback that plays against them balls out. I don't care about that. But I did think he played better last night uh, than I expected him to, Joe. And I, I, for that reason, I was kind of came into this show thinking, oh, Bruce is going to give him a lot of love. But, of course, nah, Bruce is like, nah, man, this is what it is. What do you think, Joe? So I raised my finger right after Bruce was talking or towards the end, and he saw me and the polite man that he is, knowing that uh, <laughs> you always take care of your left tackles. He stopped talking abruptly <laughs> right at the end. And then I realized that Ox does not have a monitor to see what I'm doing over here. So the only person I'm talking to is the one that I don't want to cut off. Uh, <laughs> but, anyways, I would like to uh, – pass on my time to answer your question to ask Bruce a question because okay I saw this a bunch this last week of football in college and in the NFL where you're in a two-minute offense in a situation where you can't take a sack everybody knows this right you either don't have any timeouts and you're driving or you maybe only have one timeout and you need to save it to try to be able to get up into field goal range and use that timeout um, and a quarterback takes a sack. And I'm just wondering what the mindset is and how does it change when you're in that situation when you realize that a sack ends the game as a quarterback? Uh, and how do you read the defense and take the play a little bit differently than you would if it was just a normal two-minute offense play? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And I think it comes down to your feet and rhythm. Like, this isn't time that you can hitch multiple times in the pocket you got to take your three-step drop hits hit hitch once and the ball's got to come out if it doesn't come out in that rhythm and timing incompletions are okay in the two-minute drill you know what i mean like i remember paul hackett my quarterback coach for tampa bay and the raiders always used to tell us hey incompletions are good you know we need we got four downs now so i think in, in that situation when i point out that too like on that play it's kind of like three hits, you got the seam, oh, you don't got it, sailed out of bounds and live to play another down. So mm. I think of quarterbacks is really trying to help them to understand, listen, when we're out of timeouts, you absolutely cannot take a sack. And look, it's tough. Like there's some you just can't avoid. But if you're in your timing and rhythm of what we're asking, what the concept is, if you can't get it out in time or you get quick pressure, 
you got to know where that outlet is or you got to know where you can chuck it right at their feet and live to play another down. And I think that's got to be the mindset, especially when you get down to those crunch times. And I think that goes back to, to some coaching too with we see with the Eagles and the Cowboys. Like the Eagles are very thoughtful in situational football, how they approach it and, and everything mm-hmm. like that. And you've seen it through the course of the season. Like they they change their tempo versus teams they're playing. The Dolphins, they go slow. Other teams, they they speed it up. You know, we see their short yardage stuff. Like, so I feel like they're very in tune with situational football. And I think that's um part of it. Yeah. That that background you have, Bruce, is perfect. Um, because you go deep every time. I mean, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, you lost me. This is like Joe talking about Lyman play. I fell asleep <laughs> about forty seven seconds ago. Uh, but I do appreciate the insight because the people <laughs> out there, they want to hear it. Just not me as a wide receiver. Just throw me the damn ball. All right. So our next Owen apology is for Joe. All right. So the Giants are terrible, right? They're not any good. Uh, Daniel Jones can't stay healthy. And when he is healthy, he's also not any good. Uh, they went to the playoffs a year ago and everybody resurfaced a 2019 article from Baker Mayfield, who in GQ magazine said that, uh, he couldn't believe the Giants took Daniel Jones and that blew his mind insinuating that this guy isn't any good and that he hadn't done enough to be taken that high in the draft. Everyone came at Baker a year ago. This year, Daniel Jones looks like he took the money and he turned back into the worst version of himself. So my question, Joe, is do we owe Baker Mayfield an apology for his Daniel Jones take? Uh, I don't think we owe an apology because I don't care – how bad the dude is. I just don't think you talk about your fellow quarterbacks yep. or people in your fellow position groups like that Touché. in the media. Uh, maybe keep that to yourself. Yep. I know that sometimes those GQ interviews can end up being a little bit long. Yeah. And you just kind of what? meander with your thoughts. Like remember when James Harrison, I think it was the Rolling Stones interview was talking about the commissioner. He said, if Roger Goodell was on fire, you wouldn't pee on him to put it out. <laughs> uh, and you know, I get it. Like they're looking for you to be, boombastic and say crazy outrageous things so that they can draw traffic of course that's Uh why we have bruce on so he can say crazy stuff and uh, bring in his millions of followers absolutely (laughs) however daniel jones right now he's winning he's got the bag what did he get uh four years 160 million like 40 million a year okay so it's not all guaranteed it's not the deshaun watson contract but that just proves that I want my son to be a quarterback because all it takes is a couple good games <laughs> and the fear of being stuck with no quarterback at all. And the team, the GM, the head coach, they just start shoveling wheelbarrows full of money oh, at you because figures. they're just so worried about having bad quarterback play that Damn. they will pay out the nose for average at best quarterback play. That's how I got married. That's why Keisha, Keisha my wife, married me. They're so she's so worried about not having anybody. She just took anything, and here I am, right? Uh, married man of uh, almost ten years now. Uh, all I'll right, so this since, coverage. since you guys want to apologize for anything, I will apologize to somebody. I'm going to apologize to Michael Penix, and here's why: Michael Penix was in the recruiting class of the same nephew I talked about earlier, who was at Chattanooga, Tennessee, but he was at Indiana at the time, and he was the quarterback of Indiana. And that season, they actually went to a bowl game. And had a winning, like their best season in 50 years. And, you know, like anybody watching games that you barely pay attention to, I'm like, oh, this Michael Penix kid, he he does not have it. 
And my nephew would always be like, oh, no, nah, he's the truth. And I'm like, he is not the truth. I, I don't see it. He was a young player, but he was really good. Now, fast forward to this year and even the last couple of seasons, he has been balling out of control. And I don't miss very often. I'm usually always right. 90% of the time, I'm right all the time. But in this specific scenario, I am completely wrong. Michael Penix <laughs> is probably going to win the Heisman. And even though I didn't say this publicly, I will still apologize and say, man, I was extremely wrong in that scenario, Bruce. That, that's big of you, Hawk. Thank you. You know I, to say I get that, that a lot. I, you got me too, though. It's not the same nephew that, that's now playing D-line, right? Did you just say he was playing quarterback? No, 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 no. Michael Penix was playing quarterback. My nephew was playing D-line at Indiana. Okay. Then he graduated. I thought he went from QB to D-line. I was like. <laughs> <laughs> See, Alabama's about to feast on him. No, no, no. He played at Indiana. He graduated, and then he transferred to play uh, to get his master's degree from, from somewhere else. All right, Joe, I got another apology for you. All right? This is one specifically for you. Wisconsin is 5-4 is and four this season. Wisconsin football. Big, bad Wisconsin football. Toledo is 8-1, and one, and they're ranked 30th. In the polls. And I know most people are going to be like, 30th in the polls? It's only 25. Yeah, but we also count the votes afterwards. And for Toledo, that's a big deal. We, we were definitely going to say we're 30th. So, Joe, do, do you owe Bruce and, and me an apology um, for insinuating that Wisconsin is a better football program than Toledo um, when right now that is not the case? I'll see you in the glass bowl any day, anytime, <laughs> whenever you guys are ready. Let's do it. All right, all right. So we'll see. We'll see how the year's finished up. Maybe we. Maybe there's a chance we end up in a bowl game playing Wisconsin. And how awesome would that be? Oh, <laughs> we are going to do a live Tomahawk show from the 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 site, which will probably be in like El Paso, Boise. Texas. Or... I'll, I'll be able to drive to it because it's probably <laughs> going to be somewhere in the Midwest. Yep, it's going to be the uh, uh, Bloom Bloomington, Indiana Bowl or something like that. And and we are going to do a live Tomahawk show, and it is it is going to be glorious. But we might be in the national championship if we went out. That's all I'm going to say. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to finish up the Tomahawk Show with some more incredible NFL topics and extra points. Yes, y'all. And we don't stop. All right, welcome back. We're going to get into our final segment of today's Tomahawk Show episode. And we are going to grade the take. Uh, we're going to start with the Eagles tush push. There's been a lot of conversation around should this be legal? All these things and the, the the overall consensus, which surprises me a little bit, is that it's going to be outlawed, that people think it should be outlawed and it's not fair. Joe, as an offensive lineman, you don't have a lot of offensive plays where it's solely rest on your shoulders that get such national attention. So I would imagine, I can imagine what your take is, but grade that take. Is it a bad take that this is not a football play? It is a bad take. Uh, I think it's ridiculous that people want to outlaw the play because you've seen plenty of teams try to do it mm -hmm. and they're not successful, right? Yep. The only team that can do it is the Eagles. It's because of the personnel that they have in their offensive line. They're obviously big, strong, physical guys. They got a big, strong, physical quarterback. Mm -hmm. But I think the key to the play really is the push that they give Jalen because no matter what the defensive line does, if they go low and just create a pile, then they just body surf Jalen over the top. Uh, the pushers do. If they try to stay higher, so that Jalen can't go over the top, then they just get blown off the ball because of the leverage and the power mm. that the Eagles offensive line has. So I think that they've found something and they've capitalized on it. Um, and unless people are getting injured at like some enormous monumental rate, I think it's a great play in football. I think it's really interesting to see teams try to come up with some way to stop them. And it reminds me a little bit of uh, early on in my career, the Patriots were like, 
30 out of 31 converting third and ones and fourth and ones running like a simple goal line outside zone with two tight ends, a fullback and a, and a halfback. And it was just an outside zone play, but they did a really good job of coaching up all the individual techniques so that the defense really had no option. They had no way to win the rep. Yep. And I, I don't think you remove plays from the game just because another team has it's mastered it based on their scheme yeah, and their man. technique and their personnel. Uh, to me, that just seems like they're picking on the Eagles because everybody has the same right to be able to make this play part of their repertoire, but nobody yep. else can do it the same way. I, I agree. It's like, yo, if, if, if you stop it, that's your prerogative. If you want to build your team to be able to do this too, go ahead. But chances are you're gonna not gonna be very good at other things. They have a specific skill set with Jalen who can do a lot, which is why he's a special player, that offensive line. Yeah, so I, I agree. I thought it's stupid. I think it's stupid that people even are having that conversation. It, it literally makes no sense to me. There's not a lot of things I feel like I don't understand when people talk about them. I can see a perspective. This one is one of those things where I'm like, what are you talking about outlaw this play? Why? Because they're better than everybody else at it. That's what the game of football is about, finding your competitive advantage. All right, Bruce, I know you have a take on this, but I'm not going to ask you about the Eagles tush push, and I'm going to go to the next se segment or the next topic. Um, grade this take, Bruce, you ready? Tweet from Andrew Hawkins, January 14th, 2022. Uh, Rick Basaccia just put an almost equivalent of Tom Brady coming in for Drew Bledsoe-type coaching performance as an interim head coach for the Raiders. Why the hell would they look anywhere else? He's your guy. You are a former Raiders great, Bruce. Grade that take and give me your perspective on the Raiders slash Josh McDaniels situation. That's an A-plus take. Thank you. Thank I you, love thank it, you. Hawk. I mean, some of these owners and general managers make things way harder than it needs to be. Like, the most important thing is getting the culture right. If you get the culture right, guys enjoy coming to work. They're going to put in the work. They're going to play for each other. And the X's and O's will follow suit. And the Raiders really did find their niche at that point with Rich Bisaccia. And their car was playing well. Mm -hmm. They had a good staff. Like, all of it was humming pretty well. And then you went from an offense to Hawk that is the West Coast and Gruden-type system to now the Josh McDaniels way, which is a lot different. And, and now you're changing personnel. So you just took, you know, how many steps back with this move? And now you're trying to kind of. You know, it's like a snowball effect. So that was a good take. What, what was the date on that again? January 14th, 2022. So I think this is before they hired McDaniels. Um, Just be careful what you say or uh, text the hawk because that man keeps oh, everything. I keep receipts, brother. <laughs> that is that is what I've known for. I am going to keep a receipt <laughs> to prove that I was right. We're going to stay on this topic for a little bit because, Joe, I know you, you, you have a, a, a lot of experience in this department. Coaches being fired midseason. I mean, I think you got more coaches fired than anybody in NFL <laughs> history. You can't tell the NFL story without you um, getting coaches fired, which is why you're in the Hall of Fame and you're one of the best to ever do it. So the story came out that Josh McDaniels, they basically had an intervention with him and, and basically let him have it. The players did and, and, and with the Raiders in the locker room or in the, in the meeting room. And so Josh McDaniels, had Antonio Pierce, interim head coach now, speak on his behalf. And Antonio Pierce gave the, uh, the example of the 2007 Giants. And he's like, yo, that team thought they could beat anybody. And that's why we were successful. And we beat the undefeated New England Patriots. We got to have that mentality. And that pissed Josh McDaniels off. 
And he told Antonio Pierce, don't ever talk about the Patriots like that. And ultimately, that gets up to the ownership, and they say all, that's what got him fired, right? So, coaches getting fired midseason is almost a telltale sign that they've lost the locker room. And everybody wonders, well, what does that mean when you lose the locker room? Give me detail, because we say that term, but people don't understand what that actually equates to. So, Joe, as an expert, what does it mean when a coach loses the locker room? It just means that nobody's listening to what the coach has to say anymore, and he's lost all of his power and authority. Uh, but curiously enough, I had six head coaches fired, and none of them were fired in the middle of the season. Ooh, and it's kind of weird to think back, but I don't ever feel like our coach created an environment, uh, even in the year he was getting fired, where guys were like giving up and not yeah. putting in the effort. Now, clearly, there was times where guys were like, milling it in a little bit, which seems like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but <laughs> it was never a toxic situation, I guess, is maybe the better way to put it, mm -hmm. where you felt like you had to cut the cord on the coach immediately, or yeah. it was going to just continue to snowball and have crazy drama. And I actually didn't hear about the Josh McDaniel stuff until you brought that up there. I was never a fan of his in Denver. I, I've never been a fan of the Belichick disciples that try to just mirror image everything Bill does, because yep. I think... I wish I would have saved my tweets the way Hawk does. Cause I've been saying this forever. Like, <laughs> Bill's the greatest coach in the history of football, but the difference between him and number two is not like some chasm. It's a very small margin. Like he was really, really good at finding tiny little ways to find small little edges, which is what great coaches do. But the magic for him was not in like how grumpy he was, how he treated the media like crap, how he was like, shrouded in mystery with his players and he tried to play mind games with those guys like that was not what made him great and so these assistants that just grew up in the belichick system and the tree and never went anywhere else they saw everything that bill did and they tried to copy it when really a lot of that stuff was actually probably things that hurt him as a head coach mm. because people fucking hated him yep. and made everybody's life completely miserable and really the genius was his X's and O's, his ability to teach, his ability to predict what a team was going to do to try to attack them, like mm. so that they were ready and they could prepare the team to be ready to zig and zag uh, when the other team tried to attack their weaknesses. And so I think so many times you see these guys that just want to be clones of Belichick and it yep. always fails. And uh, I guess even though Josh McDaniels has told us that he learned a lot from his first go around in Denver and was a much different person. He was his own person. Apparently he didn't change all that much because it sounds like it's the same stuff he was doing in Denver. Absolutely. And I think this is why Joe Thomas is an incredible chef because Joe Thomas, uh, he knows how to cook. It's like you give him any kind of ingredients and he will whip something up. And then there are people who just follow recipes and they try to copy and that's never tastes as good as a person who actually knows how to cook. And that's what you see with a lot of head coaches. They try to implement a system in a culture that they saw somebody else, and they're trying to get the detail of what they're doing by watching versus creating their own based on who they are, like Mike McDaniels is doing. Mike McDaniel, the other McDaniel, is completely opposite. He's doing it his own way because he's like, yo, this is who I am. I don't know if it'll be successful, but I'm not going to fail being like Shanahan. That's a, that's a stupid way to fail. Uh, Bruce, have you ever been a part of a team where the coach got hired, fired midseason? No. No? No, I haven't. I mean, I think Joe brings up a good point. Like, I was there when Romeo Cornell, when everyone kind of knew that was coming to an end, but no one lost respect for him. They loved him. He was like a big teddy bear. Like, yeah. you know, you had so much respect for Romeo Cornell. 
I think both your takes are so good because Hawk, like you were just saying, you have to be yourself because players know if you're being genuine or not. Mm-hmm. And nowadays you can't talk to guys all crazy without having a reason why and ask them to do certain things. You you got to put in the work as well. And you have to know your locker room. I mean, when you go from New England to the Raiders, you're going to have different personnel. You're going to have different guys. How do you utilize what you have? And it's just not a cookie cutter approach. Like, well, this is what we did. It's like, but what do you have? And mm-hmm. who's successful? And who can, you know, where's your talent at? And stuff like that. So I think it's a good take by both you guys. And I haven't been a part of that. Like I, because when I was with the Raiders, Tom Cable was the head coach and he just took over. He was like an interim role mm-hmm. uh, that became the head guy. And then after the one season, that's when Hugh Jackson uh, took over. So there was never a point where it was like a mid season type thing. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll put a bow on this one with, with this. You can always see when a coach lost the locker room in that first game after they get fired. And I say this all the time. If you are a better, and we are in the DraftKings Network, it's a part of this show. I will tell you, my philosophy is when they fire a coach midseason that everybody hates, whenever you get that report that the players don't like them and they lost the locker room, you go put your money on that team because that next game will tell you if that's true or not. And the Raiders look like a completely different squad three days after they fired their head coach because in their mind, the Wicked Witch of the West is dead. And that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk Show. We appreciate the DraftKings so Network. You're a rich man today. Metal Lark Media. I am very rich. I, I, <laughs> I am very rich because of that take. Uh, appreciate our guest Bruce Gradkowski as always our resident quarterback expert as well as the best co-host in all the land Hall of Famer Joe Thomas Joe final thoughts you got about 20 seconds here final thoughts I'm so happy and proud that Bruce could be out here today that he can carry my love because <laughs> I feel horrible I love well, you Joe you're the best teammate I love you. hey man you carried us all those years we played for the Browns and this is the least we could do for you Uh, With that being said, we will see you guys next week. Same time, same place. Joe, take us out. Joe, talk yourself. Get better, man.